Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. So if you have a Bible, open up to Daniel chapter 2 this morning. Daniel chapter 2. And uh, we are continuing our study in, this, in the book of Daniel in a series I've entitled Counterculture. Counterculture. And so if you've been with us the last two weeks, it's been... It's been good. Anybody getting anything out of the, the, the messages from the, from the Word of God, man? It's like, you know, it's incredibly practical and encouraging, I think, you know, as you consider what Daniel and Hananiah and Michelle and uh, Azariah, were, where they were placed and the kinds of things that were going on in that culture. And, and they're the same things we're facing, you know, a lot of those things, although they were taken captive, obviously, because of the sinfulness of man. But, and yet, in the midst of the captivity... The Lord was doing a work, and he was sending missionaries at the same time into the land of Babylon. And so we can see, you know, that similar to Daniel and Hananiah and those fellas, uh, we are also foreigners living in a land that is not our own. And so we, we have to take and consider what it is that Daniel's doing to keep himself from the culture, from the culture coming in to him. And, and so we saw some things in chapter 1 that, you know, we, we need to pick our battles, right? We don't just go around and say, I'm a Christian. You need to do what I do because I'm a Christian and everybody needs to revolve around me. That's not the way that it works. We're foreigners in a land. And so we need to understand the culture we're living in. But we have to make sure we don't allow that culture to begin to... Um, get inside of us. So we have to be very careful about that. So you want to be careful about some of those things you're dealing with. However, there becomes a line drawn in the sand when it comes to the Word of God. And that's what we saw in chapter 1. Daniel says, hey, I'm okay if, you know, you teach us your cultural things in terms of their religion and their astrology and all of those different things that they were learning. It's okay. It's not unbiblical to do that. So many of you have secular jobs and you learn all kinds of different things about the culture and how this world works. And of course, uh, you know, you're learning those things temporarily. You realize that, right? So when we get into heaven, things change. The culture changes. Like you'll be able to walk through walls and stuff. No need to automate doors or anything like that. You'll just be doing, you know, an amazing uh, place to live, by the way. Um, So there's mansions there apparently that Jesus is building for us. So it's going to be a great place. But, um, you know, you're learning things today that, aren't necessarily relevant to eternity per se, and yet there are cultural things that we learn, but they're not wrong for us to learn these things. And in fact, even when it comes to religion, I don't think it's uh, prudent for many people to dive into, uh, you know, cults and those kinds of things and learn about other people's religions because some people can't handle that information. But, you know, for, for some people that the Lord is called to apologetics, that is their ministry. And so they have to understand where these other people are coming from so that they can minister. And, and so, you know, if that's your calling, then, hey, it's, it's okay to do that. It's not unbiblical to learn about other uh, religions and about how they view Jesus because every religion has a view of Jesus. We see that Daniel didn't make a big deal about that. He also didn't make a big deal about their name changes, even though that was a big deal. Like in their culture, to change your name was a big, big deal. Like in our culture today, we name our kids whoever is the coolest person in the world today. You know, oh, I'm, I'm going to name my, my kid, you know, Brad. You know, well, okay, good for you. But um, the Brad's a good name. It's Brad, you know, whatever. But whatever you want to name your name, most of us don't do it because we're trying to paint a picture to our kids about 
who we are and, and who we're living for kind of thing. And that was the Jewish culture, right? I mean, that, that is what they did. They, they named their kids to remind them of something. It was very important to them. And all the names of Daniel, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, Azariah, those names all related to God. You know, they, they related to who, who God is and, and, and who they are in, in their culture. And then they, they get taken to Babylon and they want to change their names because they're trying to assimilate them into, to make them Chaldeans, as we'll see in here in a second. Uh, Babylonians, they're trying to, to, to completely just rub the Jewish right out of them. So they're doing everything they can. But, but there comes a line, as we saw. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel resolved in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies. So he said, I, there's a point in which I will make a stand for my faith. But it's interesting how he made that stand. And I would, again, draw, I would point you back to my sermon last week and even the week before talking about how do we deal with people when there are lines in the sand for us and how do we relate to them. You look at Daniel, he didn't go around and, and you know, he didn't create create a huge ruckus, but what he did was he purposed in his heart. He resolved in his heart. He had, he had a line drawn in his sand and, and in his heart, and he was not going to go over that line no matter what it meant. But he also was very, very wise and prudent about how he dealt with the culture around him. Remember, this is not your home. It's their home. It's not your home. And so we need to be very diligent about how we deal with people in our world today. Now, as you know, you remember at the end of chapter 1 there, it says that after three years, Daniel, Hananiah, um, Mishael, and Azariah, they were um, so, God blessed them with so much wisdom, with the ability to understand the culture and all of these kinds of things that they actually, uh, when they were brought before the king, they were 10 times better than those of uh, the Babylonians. 10 times wiser they had 10 times more understanding as it related to the, 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 the stars and all of these different things. God was blessing them, you know, as they had made that stand for him. They said, hey, we're going to do this, Lord. We're going to honor you. Uh, that, that's, what, that's what a missionary does. They go into a culture and they make a stand for God in a way that doesn't just, just completely and totally pull, the, pull the, um, you know, the rug out from under the people there and make them upset. That's what many Americans do when they go to foreign lands for missions, by the way. They oftentimes, they mess a lot of stuff up because they bring, you know, they think everybody should be American. So they bring their American culture to a culture that's not like that. They don't try and bother to understand it. You know, we're the only culture that is so arrogant that we don't learn other people's languages, really. You know that? So we'll go to other lands and we'll expect people to speak our language, but we won't do a thing to really understand their language. And, and as a Christian, you, you see that mindset? That there's something wrong with that. Like we really need to be considerate of those around us and how can we reach them the most? And so we have to have that missionary mindset. And that's what they did. They had the missionary mindset. God blessed them as a result of that. And remember, at the end of this, the king, he, he, he put Daniel and those, those guys in, in in places of power, and also, listen, God gave Daniel a special gift, and it, it's just kind of, you know, it, it ends the chapter one with the idea that Daniel was given the ability to interpret dreams. He was, God, God blessed him in that way. He, he, he had given him that, and so um, as we move into chapter two, this is going to be very important, so here we go. Daniel chapter two, stand with me real quick. We're going to just read a few verses and kind of set the tone for we're going to try and go through the whole chapter. So here we go. Daniel chapter 2, 
beginning in verse 1, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Father, we just come before you now, Lord, with your word before us. Lord, we, we want to understand our gifting. God, we want to understand what it is that the reason you've given us certain things, Lord, so that we can shine brightly for you, so that we can be used, Lord, in such a time as this for your glory and honor. Lord, let us not miss the purpose that you've created us for. Lord, we, we, we want to surrender ourselves to you now. We ask you to just speak into our lives. Reveal, even today, to some that may not know the giftings that they have. Will you reveal those things this morning? Lord, will you help us see that you've been in control of all of these things for your purposes because you're at work doing something and you have a plan for us and you have, a, you have work for us to do. Let us not miss it. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, how many of you guys believe that God always provides I'm not saying sometimes provides. I'm saying always provides. I mean, everybody else, God always provides. I think we say that, but I wonder if we really believe that. Like, do we really believe God always provides? Well, he does. And even when we don't like the way he's providing, he always provides. And so you, when you consider the provision of God and how God provides, you know, the word um, provide there in the Hebrew literally means sees you. He sees you. It's not only that he, he, he's, he's, he's at work to give you what you need, but he sees you in your situation, and then he gives you what you need. Like, God doesn't just say, oh, okay, here you go. He's just not just doling out things. Like, he sees you in your situation, and then he, 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 he gives to you, he provides to you accordingly. That's powerful. Because what that says is God is an intimate God that he cares about every single detail of my life. If he provides, and he does, then that means he sees me in every circumstance. Wow, how amazing is that? God provides. Now, how does God provide, though? There's a very specific, I don't want to call it formula, but there's a very specific method that God uses to provide for you and I in our lives. You know what it is? It's called the will of God. So here's what happens is God has, you know, created and fashioned and formed you for a purpose. You know, he, he fashioned and formed you for good works, for different things. And, and, and then what God does throughout your life is he provides for you in, in different ways to accomplish his purpose. So in other, that's why we have the saying in our, in our movement, and probably many other people have it too, but you can finish it for me, where God guides he what? He provides. Where God guides, he provides. Again, um, if he's the one guiding, then he'll do the providing. We have to rest in the will of God to understand the provision of God. They work coincide. They, they coincide them, with themselves together, working in harmony together, the will of God and the provision of God. And I don't think we have a clearer picture of this than the book of Daniel. I think it's very clear that you see the, it was the will of God for, for the children of Israel to be in Babylon. It was God's doing. 
ultimately as a response to their sin, of course, and it was a, a, a means of chastisement. But what we find in it, it was God who gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So it was God's doing. He, he was at work in that, and he had a plan for that. And in fact, he, he prophesied about that early on. And yet, while they're in Babylon, the Lord provides for them. And we're going to see that very clearly in Daniel's life here. You know, and, and oftentimes, the provision of God, as you know, doesn't happen in your timing, right? So you're in a situation where you're saying, Lord, you always provide. And, you, you know, you're waiting for that provision, and, and the day two comes, and you're like, okay, Okay, Lord, I know that you provide, so I'm waiting on you. And then day, day, day 10 comes, and you're like, Lord, I know that you always provide. Um, and, and then a month goes by, and you're wondering, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? Anybody been there before? We got to be careful, man, that, that we, we don't, God doesn't operate with his provisions in our timing. It's in his timing because it's according to his plan. He's positioning and purposing us in our situations for, for reasons. Now, that doesn't mean every single circumstance we find ourselves in is the Lord's doing. Sometimes it's our own doing. If it's, if it's sin, if it's sinful and it's a result of sin, then it's our doing. But here's the deal. God's still sovereign and he's still at work and he's still in control and he still knows. He, all of that is incorporated in, you know, in, in however the, the, the bigger master plan of God in your life there's nothing you can do that God is going to say, oh my gosh, what are you doing? That's not part of the plan. He understands there's the perfect will of God and then there's what's called the permissive will of God. The permissive will of God will allow you to walk in whatever way you want to, wherever you want to go, whatever you want to do, but you're still, in, you're still walking according to his plan. He knows it all and he's at work in everything. And he provides accordingly for us. You know, maybe you're in a situation, you ever, you ever seen that before where you're, you're in a situation of a struggle? Maybe you're online looking at something, you, you know, and, and all of a sudden something comes across your screen that you shouldn't be looking at. And, and, and in that moment, maybe you get a phone call, maybe you get a text, maybe the Lord always provides. The Lord always provides a way of escape. The Lord always provides in every situation. So if we'll just listen to him, like, you know, we're not in this alone. Like, the Lord is with us in every circumstance and situation. He's walking with you in your situation, even in your free will. God is at work, and he provides for you in, in the, the, the way that he needs to in order to, for you to accomplish his will. So the Lord always provides. Now, as we enter Daniel chapter 2, we enter what is one of many paramount chapters relating to eschatology, so relating to the study of end times. And the book of Daniel is, is it's imperative that we understand the book of Daniel from a prophetic, prophetic standpoint in order for us to understand prophecy in general. So like if God were to just take out the book of Daniel out of the Bible and we didn't have that, we would be in the dark in a lot of different ways. No, because the Daniel coincides with, um, with Ezekiel. It coincides with Isaiah. It coincides with, with Revelation. It coincides with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which we just we went through not too long ago. I mean, the book of Daniel is one of those pivotal books that speaks so clearly about prophecy and about end times living and all of these different things. And so it's important that we understand that. God had a plan for Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael as they are in Babylon, and he's going to reveal his bigger picture plan through them. 
And it's an amazing thing. So as we walk through this, it's important that we, we consider, you know, there's lots of different interpretations of these various different prophecies. You know, we want to let the Bible interpret the Bible. We don't want to just make stuff up. And so where we're, where we're unclear about what some of these things mean, we just say, hey, we're unclear about what that means. But we want to do our best to rightly divide the Word of God and when it comes to prophecy. And, uh, you know, I, I love what Pastor Chuck, Chuck always said, you know, relating to this. He said, when, when the literal sense makes perfect sense, make no other sense lest you make nonsense. And, and a lot of people have made a lot of nonsense out of some of these scriptures. So we're going to do our best to just stay within the context of the scripture itself and let the Bible tell us what it says, all right? So the first thing that we find in Daniel chapter 2 is God orchestrating something uh, for a bigger picture, and it's this dream that he gives Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. So it's the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, sometime around 602 B.C. The three years have passed. You know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's reigned. Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah are positioned right exactly where God wanted them. You know, and, and, and what happens is the Lord begins to work behind the scenes in the life of Nebuchadnezzar because he wants to show him, not just show him something, he wants to show us and many other people something about his plan, about what he wants to do. Daniel and, and these guys were placed there for such a time as this. That, this. that is not just an Esther story, by the way, for such a time as this. That is every person in every situation. That includes you as well. You're here for such a time as this as we're dealing with the things that we're dealing with in our world. So um, God has them placed right where he wants them. And now it literally says Nebuchadnezzar is disturbed in his spirit. So he's, he, he's losing sleep. And he's losing sleep because he has this, this, this dream, this thing that's going on. And the Lord, if you remember, it, throughout the entire Bible has worked through dreams. God has always worked through dreams. He, he, he speaks through dreams and visions of people. He, he works through dreams and, and visions, and, and, and in, in this case, he's working through a dreaming an unbeliever. How do, you, how do you like that? Do you know that God's at work? In fact, it's, it's pretty interesting that right in this moment, right in the, the time period in which we're living, God is at work in dreams of unbelievers. Do you know that? Like, I'm talking about in an epic way. So how many of you guys have read about the Muslims that are having dreams about Jesus? Like they're having dreams about Jesus. They're getting saved through a dream. They, they, they all have the same kind of, this started some 15 years ago or so, something like that. I don't know if it ever stopped, to be honest with you, but, but, but people started saying sometime around 2004, the Lord, it started, people started hearing this repetitively that many Muslims were having dreams about this man in white who would come and tell them what they're doing wrong. He would tell them that, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there's no one comes to the Father except through him. And, and somebody started catching on that the Lord was at work, and they started compiling these testimonies of these Muslims who are having dreams, and God is working through dreams. God works through dreams. Let me say this, though. Every dream that you have isn't necessarily from God. Right? So if you had a dream, you're like, Dude, last night I was dreaming I was eating pizza and all of a sudden this frog jumped through a window and, and what does that mean? And I'd be like, I have no idea. I have no clue what that means. I don't think it means anything. 
I don't think it means anything at all. But listen, you take that before the Lord and you ask him because, you know, that maybe he is saying something to you. But, but, but God does speak through dreams. And, and perhaps you've experienced that in your own life. Maybe he's done that with you. God works through dreams, and he's working through the dream of Nebuchadnezzar here for a big, big purpose. Look at verse 2. It says, Then the king commanded the magicians and the enchanters, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans, to be summoned to tell the king his dream. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word, is from, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall, lay, house shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Verse 7, then answered, they answered a second time and said, the ki- let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that, there are, that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. So, although Nebuchadnezzar has only been in, reigning for a few years, he's no amateur when it comes to determining truth. So he realizes, like, he is so troubled by this that he doesn't want just some yes man telling him what he wants to hear. He wants to know what this means. Like, this is so serious to him that he calls all of his wise men together and he says, listen, not only am I expecting you to interpret the dream, but you're going to tell me what it was first so that I know that you know what it is that I dreamed and then I can trust your interpretation. Because here's the thing is that wise men, prophets of old, a lot of these guys, the false prophets and all, they would go before the king and they would tell him what he wanted to hear. We see that in the history of, of Israel as they're going, getting ready for battle, you know, and, and, and we see that the prophets come before the king and they tell him, oh, yeah, do it. Go for it. And then, and then you know, you have, you have Balaam or you have somebody like that that is, has to come and tell them, like, no, don't, the Lord's not saying that. You better not do that. You know, um, so, uh, you know, the, the, the Lord makes known the truth, and Nebuchadnezzar understands that. He can't trust the word because it says there that they had agreed to speaking lies. So somehow he came across that. I, I, that's probably just a common thing. But he said, listen, I know that you guys are, are going to speak, um, you know, untruth to me. And I, I need to know that you're, you know what you're talking about. So, um, you know, apparently when you are supposed to be a spokesperson for God, you're supposed to be able to do all kinds of things. And particularly, you're supposed to do what your job is entitles you to and speak truth on behalf of the Lord and reveal things. And so that's exactly what uh, Nebuchadnezzar expects. He's saying, I'm going to stick you to who you say you are. You know, and, and that brings a point that, you know, be careful about who you say you are. Be careful that you don't go around saying, thus says the Lord, and you're speaking on your own behalf. Be careful. There are many people that do this. And we have to be careful about the words that we use. Are we speaking on God's behalf 
Sometimes we are, but we better make sure we are. You know, it's a serious thing. The Lord knows that um, these guys are liars, and he's going to reveal that. And he's putting them in this position for that purpose, to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar that he's living in a, a house of cards. Basically, there's no truth going on here, and, and he's going to reveal the truth to him. and he's going to show him who the real God is in this. And n- notice he says that the stakes are high, that this is going to cost you your life. And he says, I'm going to tear you from limb to limb. What does that mean? So maybe your, interpreta- your, your Bible translation, if you're using the, the King James or New King James, might say, cut you into pieces. The, the word cut there and the word tear or to torn apart, the same, it's the same word. But in this culture, what they would do is they would take four trees and they would bend the trees down into the, the middle of a, of a place there. They would tie the ends together and then they would take a person and they would lay them underneath the tree. They would tie them uh, you know, to the, to the bends in the trees and they would tie them limbs, all four of their limbs to the ties of the trees and they would cut that rope and the, and the trees would erect and they would pull them apart limb to limb. The only thing that would be left in the middle is their trunk. Their legs and arms would be torn right off their body. He's saying, if you don't tell me the truth, that's exactly what's going to happen to you. If you don't make this dream known to me. And of course, they, they start backpedaling and they're saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he said, my word is firm. My word is firm. This is the way it's going to be. Now, for you Bible students, there's an interesting thing that transpires in verse 4 here where the Chaldeans begin to speak to the king in Aramaic. And interesting enough, Daniel then begins to write in Aramaic in chapter 2, verse 4, all the way through chapter 7, the very last verse, I think this is verse 31 or something, all the way through chapter 7. He's speaking in Aramaic. It's interesting to, to note that because if you look at the, um, the way that Daniel is divided, you see that the, the prophetically, uh, the first chapters 2 through 7 are speaking prophetically of the Gentile nations. But then when you get to chapter 8 and on, 8 to 12, it speaks primarily of the, the, the prophetic word relating to the Jewish nations. So what, what is happening here is the Lord says, because Aramaic is the common language of the world at this time, let's write this in Aramaic so everybody can understand it. Let's write what's relating to the Gentile nation so that everybody can understand it. And so the Lord has Daniel writing in Aramaic so that anybody who picked that up could read that in, that la- in their language so they could understand the God of heaven is revealing what is about to transpire over a thousand years, folks, and, and beyond, all the way through eternity, actually. But in particular, there's four kingdoms that he's going to talk about, and these four kingdoms are going to span thou- uh, 1,000 years, some, some thousand years, right around there. And the Lord has revealed what's going to happen to them, and it's an amazing thing. And he wants everybody to know that it's him who revealed it. So just interesting enough, that's what happens there. Daniel then goes back in chapter 8, and he starts to write in Hebrew because it's relating to the Jewish nations and, and for us and beyond. So um, just interesting side note there. Now, uh, as, we, as we move into chapter 10, we see these guys speaking about their inabilities um, as, as, as humans, the reality of human inability. Look at verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter of Chaldean. The thing that, that the king's, king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. 
Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men in Babylon be destroyed. He saw right through the lies, and he just said, you know what? I'm going to kill all you guys. In fact, he calls his, 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 the commander of, of his army, and he says, go kill all the wise men. Get out there and kill them all. It's interesting here that these pagan prophets admit their inability, that they're not able to do this. Like, nobody is able to do this. This is absurd that you would ask us to do this. No king in any nation ever, particularly in our nation as the Babylonians, has ever asked us to do anything like this. What are you doing? And, you know, they're, 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 they're saying, listen, we're not able. Nobody's able. Oh, but there is somebody able. There is somebody able, actually. And, and, and I think there's, there's a truth in this for us that we have to understand our human inability as it relates to the things of the impossibilities. Listen, we're faced with impossibilities all the time in, in our world, you know, not necessarily us individually, but, but, but impossibilities exist in our world today. What do we do when we're faced with the impossible? You know, what, what do we do as a Christian when we're faced with the impossible? You know, do we continue to try and make it possible in our flesh? Do we continue to try and move forward and say, I'm just going to power through this and I'm going to do it? Maybe the Lord is trying to show you that you've been trusting in yourself too much. And maybe he's saying, hey, hold on a second, pull back. You have to understand, what I know is God is faithful. And that means that he's faithful to reveal to us in areas of our lives that we are, you know, maybe a little prideful in or something. The Lord will humble us because he loves us. He doesn't want us to get the wrong idea that we can do this on our own. We cannot do this on our own. In fact, how many have tried to do it on your own and you realize that? Like, oh, I can't do that, you know, like everybody, right? We've all realized, like, I can't do it on my own, but <laughs> we're still trying. Does that make sense? We still do try. So the Lord is faithful to continually show us our human inability, that we are unable to do certain things, but He is able to do anything. He is able to do anything that we need or ask. You know, he's able to, to but, but it's all going to be according to his, his, his will and his provision. He will do that. Notice it says here that they were, they said not even the gods can do this because they're not in the flesh. You see, they had this idea uh, in, in Babylon. They had, a, they had a, a subset of God system. So they had superior gods who had no interaction with uh, humans at all. So they didn't, they didn't talk directly to humans at all. So this is, I don't know, some, some sort of, um, you know, they, they had a, they, then they had inferior gods who were the go-in-betweens for man. So in other words, they had little gods and they had big gods. And they had these superior gods that never had any interaction. He said the, these guys were saying the only person that would be able to do this is the big gods, the superior gods. Even the little gods, the demigods, the gods that are down here interacting in, in between us and, you know, carrying the message back. I, I, I don't know how that works, but um, they, they couldn't do it either. Only the superior gods could do it. So they're, they're recognizing that this has, this, there's a spiritual element to what's being asked here. Like there's a connection here. And that's interesting to me because the Lord's going to do something amazing through this. So the king just says, okay, the edict goes out. Kill all the wise men because they're frauds. So, verse 13, it goes on to tell us the response of Daniel when he's, you know, when he's arrested for this whole situation. Uh, th so the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. So they sought Daniel and his companions and killed him, or to kill him. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, 
the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's uh, captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation of the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. What, what do God's people do when we're faced with impossibility? We run to the Lord. We go to the Lord in prayer. We pray to the Lord. We ask the Lord to make things possible. Daniel was not summoned with these wise men at this time for whatever reason. He wasn't there. But, but now he's being, um, you know, he's confronted with this, this thing. Like, hey, we're gonna, we have to kill you now. You know, and, and so Daniel goes, hold on a second. What's going on here? Why, why is... Why does the king want to put us to, to death? And, and, and then um, Arioch makes it known to Daniel what the deal was. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he's super troubled by it, and he's asked the wise men to make this dream known and then to interpret it, but nobody can do it. And Daniel, I, I'm firmly believe in that moment. Like all of a sudden, Daniel understood, oh, that's why God gave me the ability to interpret dreams in chapter 1. He wasn't thinking in chapters like I am, but you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden, you come to that realization. When you're in the middle of something, you realize like, oh, that's why God gave me the, this ability to do this or whatever. You, you see, God is at work in our lives behind the scenes before things happen, preparing us for the things that we're about ready to encounter. And so he, he had already given Daniel wisdom. He'd given him understanding, and he'd given him the ability to interpret visions and dreams. So God had already provided for Daniel for such a time as this. And so when he heard that, he said, hold on a second, Arioch, and, and look at how he does this. Look at how he, he, he comes to him wisely and discreetly. And he, sa and, and he says, listen, can, can, you, can you tell me what's going on? Maybe I can help. I, I like the way that one, pro one uh, commentator said, he said, providence ordered it's so that all mere human wisdom should be shown vain before his divine power through his servant was put forth. Like God brought all the other wise men in a room, minus Daniel and Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah as his spokespeople. And he said, see, the human people, the, 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 the horizontal prophets here can't do it. They, the wise men of this world can't do it. But now let me show you what I can do through my wise men who are surrendered to me, who are sur uh, submitted to my will. And that's what the Lord does. He's going he's to make it. So, here, so what, what does Daniel do? As soon as he hears it, he goes back to, he, he asks for the, some time with the king. He says, Lord, king, will you give me some time to interpret this? And then he goes back to his home and he finds his brothers there. And look what it says. They begin to seek the mercy of Seek mercy from God. I love that. I love that. Listen, very clearly, we don't demand God to do anything. Well, God, you put me in this place, so you better show up. God, you said this, and so you better do this. Hold on a second. Daniel is seeking mercy. You know what mercy is? Not getting what you deserve. You see, the reality is that we deserve 
we deserve hell. We deserve damnation. We deserve separation from God. That's what we deserve. So we live in a perpetual state of the mercy of God, that he doesn't give us those things. Rather, what he's done is give us grace. What is grace? Getting what you don't deserve. In other words, the Lord said, you deserve hell, but I'm going to give you heaven through my son, Jesus Christ. So, so God said, I'm, I'm a God of mercy, and I, and I will relent on certain things if you seek me in this way. Seek him as the God of mercy. The Bible reminds us that his mercies are new every day. He's a good God. He's a merciful God. He's a forgiving God. But you know what? He's also a giving God. He's a God of grace, and he wants to give you salvation. He wants to give you uh, reconciliation, man. But you got to seek him. You got to come to him. And you have to be honest about who you are first. You have to say, Lord, I got to seek, seek your mercy first because this is really ultimately what I do deserve. But I'm seeking you because you're a merciful God, and then I want to receive your gift of grace, this unmerited favor that you have for me. So Daniel and, and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they seek the Lord. And I, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure that they sought him with everything they had. This is a matter of life and death here. Like they're seeking God like, like you would seek God in a matter of life or death in your own life. You know how serious you get with God when something's really going awry in your life. And man, you're, you're, you're on your knees. You're, you're seeking the Lord. You're begging the Lord to, to work on your behalf. And, and here's the amazing thing. He's already, he was already at work anyway, even before you even did that. Isn't that amazing? He's a God of mercy. And he loves to disperse mercy upon his people. But he's also a God of justice. And he will he will act justly in this world. So they, they turn to the Lord in prayer and look at the revelation that's given, verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the, the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows that, he knows what is in the darkness and what the light dwells with him and the light that dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. So Daniel, Daniel is given the, the, the vision of of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He, the Lord shows him what the dream is, and then he, he tells him, and then Daniel responds to that. He's like, Lord, you provide it again. Listen, it's important that we give God praise and honor and thanksgiving for the answers that he gives us in our prayer time. You know, we, we, it's important that we're thankful all the time, but it's really important that we give the Lord praise and honor when he, he shows up in our lives. That he, it, it helps us understand that he hears us, number one, but, but man, we ought to be thankful people. It should put that much more of an adoration in your heart for the Lord when you see what he's done. We need to be thankful for what he's done and praise God for who he is. I, I want to encourage you, man, go back and meditate on these words that Daniel says to the Lord as he responds in praise to God. He's just like, you're the one, Lord. You're the only one. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here in my life. And, and you know, it, it's an amazing thing and that we should always be 
giving God praise and glory for all that he's doing in our lives. Now Daniel goes and requests an audience before the king, verse 24. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed and destroyed the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus, said thus to them, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Now watch this. Look at what Arioch does when he comes and brings the news in verse 25. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. Isn't that just like us? Look what I've done. King, look what I've done. I, I found him. You didn't find him. You didn't find him. He came to you. This is all the Lord's doing. No, but I should get the glory. This is him trying to, trying to get, get, get somewhere in, in this. And that's the way the world works, isn't it? The world works by us elevating ourselves. The world works by us trying to make ourselves bigger and better in people's eyes than we really are. But that's not the kingdom culture, folks. Be careful that you don't fall into that culture. You try and make yourself something that you're not. Because you're setting people's expectations then. Particularly as a Christian, please don't set yourself up to be this high and lofty one that, you know, is perfect. You're not, I promise. And people are watching. Be, be, be very aware of who you really are. And be that. Be transparent in that way. Listen, that, that's powerful testimony right there. When people know who we really are, and yet we, they see the, the grace of God at work in our lives. You know, be real. So verse, verse 26, then the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Like the king has zero patience at this point. Do not mess with me. Can you do it? He, he likes Daniel, but he's like, don't mess with me here, man. Uh, I, I want to know, can you do this? And look at Daniel's response. This is amazing. Verse 27, Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in, in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what it is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the, all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the words, the thoughts of your mind. So Daniel is, is very careful not to allow anybody to assume that he's the special one. Like, I am just so wise. Like, I can tell you, ask me something. You know, he's not doing that. He doesn't walk in there and say, okay, hold on a second. Let's talk about what I'm going to get out of this before we even go any further. He's not about himself. He understands that God has orchestrated this moment. He's provided the, the ability and the gifting to Daniel to be able to do this. So he understands that this right here is the Lord at work. And he gives God all the credit for this. He says, he says, listen, God alone is the one that has given you this. He wants you to know this, King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, he wants you to know this. I'm nobody, but man, 
is the God that I serve somebody, and he wants you to know this. Now, Daniel, Daniel goes on here. He reveals the dream. Verse 31, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. The image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you look, a stone was cut out of no human hand and struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You have to wonder in this moment, what in the world is going through Nebuchadnezzar's mind? I mean, you have to, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, you have to wonder, like, he must be blown away, like, whoa. Because you understand, like, he, that word troubled is he is so disturbed that he's, he's letting the entire world know how disturbed he is by this. He needs to understand this because he knows that it has something to do with him. So he's so disturbed about it. And Daniel comes, let me tell you what, what, what you saw. You saw something, some image that was mighty, exceedingly bright, and it was literally frightening for you to look upon. You, you were afraid, but God has given you this, this dream for a purpose. Now Daniel goes on to interpret this dream. What does this mean? What does this dream mean? Verse 37, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he is given Wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beast of the field, and the birds of heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things." And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle." And you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, of the, uh, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into pieces the iron and the bronze and the clay, the silver and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure." The dream was regarding four Gentile kingdoms and their faith. God was revealing things to come regarding the kingdoms of this world. He begins with Babylon. He be begins with Nebuchadnezzar, and he tells him, the, 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 the head is you, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian empire. It is the most valuable and prestigious 
kingdom. It is the most powerful. It is, it is an amazing uh, you know, kingdom that you've been given. The structure of this kingdom is, the, the gold represents the structure of the government, that it isn't a monarchy, that there is one in power in this kingdom. But it's interesting, as you watch the degradation of the metals go down, go down the statue, how, and, and it's interesting to watch that correlate with the government systems of these, of these uh, kingdoms that will come. It's also interesting to notice that as you, as you move from the head to the feet, that the duration of the kingdoms increase. So as you, get, you start with the Babylonian kingdom and you go down to the legs of iron, these four, four Gentile kingdoms that are spoken about, the time span of their rule increases, not decreases. It's interesting. So the Lord tells Daniel, listen, you, you are a powerful king. He tells him, you're, you're God's king, actually. God puts you in this place. In fact, the language that he uses here is similar to the language that he used with Adam in the Garden of Eden, where he said, you're over the beast of the field. You're over the birds of the air. You're like this, the, 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 this king that I have placed for this purpose. This prophecy starts with you, Nebuchadnezzar. But he goes on and he says, but, and, and he's going to reign for 66 years. And then another kingdom is coming, and that kingdom is going to be the arms and, and the, the chest of silver is the Medo-Persian kingdom. Again, it's less in value in, 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 in terms of the, the, the metal there, and, and it's also the, rep, the government uh, there in Medo-Persian kingdom is not like the monarchy system of Babylon. It is, it is an autocracy it's, it's an, uh, sorry, it's, it's a, um, the king has the power and the nobles were his equals. So there's a system in place where he wasn't the only one that had say in that system. So the degradation, more men are getting involved in the government powers as he moves down here. The Medo-Persian kingdom was in power for 208 years. Then the, king, the third kingdom came, the Grecian kingdom, represented by the bronze belly and the thighs. This indicates a further decline of man's kingdom, the Grecian kingdom is an um, aristocracy where there, there's a small privileged group of people that, that rule over this, this area, rule over this kingdom. The Grecian kingdom was in power for 185 years. Then came the Roman kingdom, the fourth kingdom, represented by the legs of iron, which is said to represent its crushing power. Rome was a democratic imperialism with far less governmental power than all of its successors, and yet there was never a kingdom like that of Rome in terms of its military power. Rome ruled the world for some 500 years and existed for around another 1,000 years in inferior fashion. There, there's a time lapse in between the legs of iron and the feet mixed with iron and clay there. There's a, there's a time lapse in this as we, we, we go from the past, in, from our perspective, we're looking at the past to what's yet to come. There's something else yet to come in this. That this kingdom that's yet to come is a kingdom that, is, that, that has some sort of a Roman origin to it mixed in with clay. And we know that it talks about here that it is a, um, there, there's 10 toes representing 10 kings. And we'll get into this in more detail in chapter 7 where he reiterates this dream and he goes into more detail about what's going to happen here. So that you, you see here that the Lord is setting up a positioning the world for his coming. That is the purpose. He's, he, now here's the thing. This is what I, what I find interesting is 
This prophecy takes place over a thousand years. A thousand years. And this is the mercy of God. Waiting and, and wooing people and working in people's lives because he loves us that much. And he, he doesn't desire that anyone would perish, but all would come to repentance. Almost a thousand years. And then he says there's another kingdom that will come. And of course we understand that kingdom to be the, the, the kingdom that will exist during the tribulation period. It's that, that revived Roman-ish, you know, mixed with clay, other kingdoms involved. Literally, we're talking about the European Union here. Most probably, where it, it, there's more than just the, the 10 currently, but maybe eventually that changes. You know, there was a Roman, it, it, it's called a, a Roman agreement that was put in place in 1957 after Israel became a nation. The, the, the European Union came together and they said, hey, we need to band together and stop fighting with each other. We need to band together and be strong as a people. And so maybe it's out of that, that place that all of this kingdom comes. We don't know. But, but there's things that we can look at and things that, that are being associated with in our current world today that we can look at and say, hey, there's some interesting things there. There's some similarities there. Let's continue to, as we watch the things unfold. But, but here's the ultimate thing. And this is for us as the Christian. We're not necessarily so interested in all the other kingdoms. We're interested in, in the final kingdom that will destroy all of these kingdoms. It's the rock that was not, that was not was cut out of the mountain with no human hands. This is speaking about Jesus. This is talking about how Jesus is, is going to come and he's going to crush every kingdom and he's going to bring his kingdom. And you know what? We are currently in this place of building that mountain that's being spoken about right here that's spread across the entire world. You and I, the church, we are representing Jesus. And one day, after that seven-year tribulation period, he's going to come and he's going to set up an earthly kingdom on this, on this uh, earth and he will rule and reign from it in Jerusalem. That day is coming. The, the last two things that he talks about are presently where we sit. We're waiting. We're waiting for this final kingdom to rise up. We're waiting for, uh, you know, the Lord to come back and crush all of these kingdoms. And, he, and ultimately what you need to understand is those four kingdoms, they all are kingdoms, kingdoms of the devil. They're all the kingdoms of man are the kingdoms of the devil, and the Lord has crushed the devil upon the cross and he's given us victory. And that victory is already present within us, folks. We're not waiting for it. It's happened. We have power over the kingdoms of man here today because of what Jesus has done. But he will literally come down and crush the kingdoms of man one day. And we will, we will be here reigning, ruling and reigning with him. So Daniel ends this section by reminding Nebuchadnezzar once again that it was the God of heaven that made this known to him. It, the dream is certain. It will happen. The interpretation, sure, fully accurate. Not, uh, not, not because Daniel was awesome, or, but because God was awesome. And look at Nebuchadnezzar's response here. It says, Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him rule over the whole providence of the Babylon and the chief um, perfect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king 
and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. How, how interesting. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar responds to what, what he's heard in humility. I mean, no king would bow before a, a, a wise man like this. He, he falls down in humility before Daniel, and he says, whoa, that's, this is amazing. This is amazing what you've done. Listen, that's our mission in this world is to reveal God in such a way that those who are not of his kingdom will fall down in humility before him and give their lives over to him. That's our calling. That's our mission. That's what we're called to. Daniel stays true to his mission in Babylon. So too should you and I stay true to our mission, man. Listen, God is at work and he's doing things behind the scenes and he is setting you up to be in a place where he can use you in such a way as this. Here's the thing is, um, Nebuchadnezzar does not understand all of this. You understand that? He, notice what he says. You're the God of all gods. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. You're the only God. There is no other God before you. There are no other gods before you. He is the only God. And, you know, but, but, he's, but he's getting it. He, he's getting there. Here, here's the other interesting thing I want to show you is that Daniel did not forget his, the, the work that his brothers had done behind the scenes to make this possible. He was the spokesperson. That's his role. He, he fit his role, but he could not have done it without his brothers. And here's what he does. Let me tell you, king, that my brothers also were part of this. And he brings them into this. So, so they, they're rewarded and appointed by Nebuchadnezzar to be set up over the affairs uh, of the province of Babylon. But Daniel stays in the king's court. The Lord was at work in all of this, folks. He provided everything that was needed in the moment for this to come about. He provided the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. He provided, um, you know, the opportunity for Daniel to talk to Arioch. He provided uh, the, 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 the time for, for Hananiah and, and Mishael and Azariah to get together and pray with Daniel that the, the dream might be revealed. He provided all along the way. And I want you to, to remember this. He's doing that in your life. He's providing for you all along the way. You might not be able to see that. Today, you might be thinking, I don't know how he's providing. I feel like I'm not, he's not providing all. Oh, he is. He's at work. Listen, trust the plan of God. All you have to do is, you know, seek his face and do what he says. That, that's pretty simple for us. <laughs> it's harder than it sounds, though. But, but that's exactly what we need to do. And he will provide for you. He'll do the work. God provided for Daniel because this was all part of his plan and God will provide for you in the same way according to his will, so don't give up. He's at work, but you must be in tune surrendering your will to his if you want to see God move in the same way in your life. What is it that you need today? Seek the Lord. Align your heart with his and see what he might reveal to you in your life regarding what you're facing. He can provide in impossible ways, folks. He can do it. He is Jehovah Jireh the Lord that provides. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, you are so good, and we just thank you for revealing, Lord, to us through this book, the things that are yet to come, the things that, that, that have already transpired, but yet the things that are yet to come. We're living in a time and a, a place today, Lord, where we're uncertain. Many, 
many things going on in our world today, and yet the one thing that we can be certain about is that you were at work. And Father, we just want to give you praise and glory and honor, Lord, for all that you've done in our lives. You have provided in marvelous ways for us. Lord, and perhaps we haven't really said thank you in a proper way to you. So this, this morning before we end, Lord, we just want to give you praise and honor and glory and thank you for who you are. Lord, we praise you for the salvation that you've given us, Lord. We praise you for all the blessings that we have in our lives. And we praise you for providing for us in miraculous ways. Lord, I, I do want to pray for anyone here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with you. As we consider the words that were spoken, we consider, Lord, the, the revelation that was given, that there is a, another kingdom coming, and then finally, Jesus will show up and he will crush all the earthly kingdoms. And yet all those who are not part of his kingdom will be dealt with justly, be separated for all of eternity. All those people, Lord. And we pray for those this morning, maybe listening online or here this morning that are not in right relationship with you, that you help them do that now by simply calling upon your name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus, where we can find complete and total forgiveness for our sins. We can find a new nature that's given to us through Jesus. We can go from being of this world to being not of this world. So we ask, Lord, that you give those who are in that state today just faith to believe, Lord, today, to turn away from the life that they're living, to turn to you, Jesus, to de declare you as Lord of their life, by simply praying, Lord, I come in Jesus' name, turning my heart away from the things of this world, and I'm turning my heart to you now, Lord. I have sinned against you, Lord. I'm in desperate need of forgiveness. I want to be part of your kingdom. Lord, include me now as I declare Jesus my Lord, bowing my heart to him. Pray that you would forgive me for my sins, Lord. I believe Jesus died for me, and he rose again from the dead for me. And I'm placing my faith in him alone today. Thank you, Lord. As a person would pray that prayer, Lord, we know that you tell us that you will by no means cast us out. We thank you that you receive us as we are, Lord. You clean us up and you make us new. We love you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me? If you need prayer, there will be some people down here to pray with you. Let's stand and worship.
to give you honor and glory throughout our week. May we remain thankful to you, Lord, and give you praise. May we seek your face. You're the God of mercy. Thank you for all that you do, Lord. Pray that you would just um, use us in a miraculous way this week, Lord, as we are steadfast, surrendered to you. Have your way in us, Lord. We thank you for all that you're doing, for how you provide for us, Lord. So use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.